This is Restless. Welcome back to the Restless Podcast, a podcast postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt. I am not joined by Pastor Michael tonight. So tonight, I am your presiding Presbyterian here on the Restless Podcast, and we are not doing a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed tonight. We are doing a postmortem on the Southern Baptist Convention 2023. And if you are listening and you think that sounds like a horrible idea, um, because I am a PCA minister and not a Baptist, you would be right. But that is why I am joined by three friends tonight um, from across the Baptist universe. They have joined and we have combined for a multiverse of Baptist roundtable. And so we are going to get to enjoy that. And so in honor of them tonight, I am just drinking some good sparkling liquid death water. So um, no one's conscience needs to be offended in my wonderful Baptist, uh, wonderful Baptist world. And so I'll tell one joke and we can get going here. So what happens if a uh, Presbyterian walks into the Southern Baptist Convention? Nothing, because there are 16,000 people there and nobody is going to notice me there. So that's uh, that's my joke. Why don't we uh, why don't we get let everybody here uh, say who they are talk about your uh give us your baptist street cred so the the people will believe me um and i'll just start with peter we'll start with the way you guys logged on to the call peter why don't you start for us tonight well great to be here um and i think this is my second or third time on and i always appreciate appreciate the fellowship and the brotherhood um my name is peter garris i am uh, an auctioneer by trade but my second career is going to be hopefully in some form of ministry and so therefore i am attending the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and obtaining my uh, MDiv uh, from there. So I currently, just as a, in all honesty, I don't attend a Southern Baptist Church, but I do attend a Southern Baptist Seminary and am very engaged with uh, following the ups and downs of uh, the convention. Excellent. Pastor Keith. Yes, hi, I'm Keith Foskey. I am the host of Conversations with a Calvinist, and I'm also the pastor of Sovereign Grace Family Church. Also do denominational videos, so somebody may know me from the, uh, the funny denominational videos that I put out. And a lot of times I'm poking fun at the Southern Baptist Convention. So I was invited to come on. I am a Baptist, though. I am a Reformed Baptist. Uh, our, our church holds the 1646 London Baptist Confession, which is the first, not the second, London Baptist Confession. And I graduated from the Jacksonville Baptist Theological Seminary, which is a Southern Baptist seminary in Jacksonville, Florida. So that's my street cred. So, Keith, are you one of those founders, guys? Is that is that what you're kind of telling us? Is that, is that I would... I would I would align with a lot of what the founders believe, uh, but we're we're a first London, not second London, and that that does may make me sort of the black sheep of the Reformed Baptist community. Uh, I I would hold to more of a uh, progressive covenantal view, which is the Wellam Gentry Kingdom through Covenant view, and that would put me sort of a little different than the than the Baptist uh, covenant theology guys. So if uh, if Peter is at Southern, he may eventually take a class with Dr. Wellam or Dr. Gentry, if he hasn't already, and uh, he'll know more about what I'm talking about. But that's that, that's what would put me a, a little different place than some some of my brothers. Well, Keith, it sounds like we may someday have to have you back just to talk about progressive covenant theology and, sure. how, and how that fits or doesn't fit with our superior Presbyterian 
Yeah, I'm very proud to just share the microphone with a with a man who holds the superior theology. If there were two Presbyterians, I don't know if I could I, I don't know if I could handle it. It'd just be it'd be too much. I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would. So um, we're we're so thankful that you were able to make it and uh, make time for this. So we're gonna we'll go to our last uh, Baptist who. Uh, who has a this is this is in his blood everybody so we'll uh we'll let uh graham introduce himself hi i'm graham fowler i am the associate pastor at a southern baptist church plant in tucson arizona called one hope church uh, i've been in ministry for five years uh, but i've grown up in ministry my great grandpa was a southern baptist preacher my grandpa was a southern baptist preacher on both sides and my mom wasn't a Southern Baptist preacher because we're Baptists. And my dad is a Southern Baptist preacher. So proud fourth generation Southern Baptist pastor. And I have an associate's degree from Liberty University, and I'm working on my uh, bachelor's in biblical studies. Wow, that's great. It does. Uh, uh, I, I, I've heard there aren't going to your mother couldn't have been a Southern Baptist preacher, but uh, we, <laughs> we may talk more about that as we talk about the convention. Uh, um, Graham, though, am I right in, in saying that you are you are not, and I, we're so happy um, because we're trying to get a, a, a good cross-section of, of Baptist life. You don't necessarily hail from the Reformed or Calvinist side of the SBC. Is that true? Yes. So I would be um, much more on the provisionist or sometimes called the traditional side. Um, except I don't adhere to total depravity. So there you go. I'm, I'm going to be the black sheep in this group, but that's okay. Um, we're all brothers. So it's okay. It's also okay, Graham, because I know you've listened to our podcast, which means you are allowed to have, I'm allowed to have a sense of humor about those perspectives because I don't think you would have made it far uh, had you been unwilling to laugh with us. So I'm so thankful for uh, everybody here making time tonight and um, everyone except me is in the South. And so I will be both the out of place Yankee uh, here and uh, the out of place Presbyterian. So guys, let's start. We need this explain it to me like I'm five, because in this case, in, in knowledgeable of, of Southern Baptist life, that's kind of what I am. So tell me, what is an SBC? What is a Southern Baptist convention? Graham, you are the Southern Baptist pastor here. Why don't you start for us? Okay, so the Southern Baptist Convention is a collection of churches that are autonomous but choose to cooperate together. Okay. But they're not forced to cooperate together. That's kind of my definition. Okay. Okay. Um, what... Um what do they cooperate to do? Maybe that's a, that's the, well, so we would cooperate to do things like, um, the North American mission board. That's our church planning kind of aspect. Um, IMB is pretty well known. That would be the international mission board. So we would cooperate to plant churches to do missions and, um, disaster relief. So we have uh, state disaster relief teams, but we also have national disaster relief teams. So we cooperate to do those things. We also cooperate so that that way we have no one goes too far off the rails. We're Baptists, so we're autonomous, but we do have to make sure that we aren't going full crazy. 
So, yeah. Um, and so I would guess that even potentially the church plant you mentioned uh, is potentially partially funded by NAM. Um, yes. So the way NAM church plants work is they do not fully fund you. You oh. are partially funded. And on top of that, you are expected to give a percentage back to your local association, um, which is another layer, but your local association and to NAM. So out of your tithes, you're expected to give, I believe, 7%, and then you're supposed to give 3% to your local association, mm. which mm. is just a group of churches that, again, autonomously choose to cooperate to plant other churches and do other things. Peter, uh, Keith, would you add anything about um, just helping uh, helping us, uh, helping us people outside yeah. of Southern Baptist life know what the SBC is? Yeah, I'm happy to add a little bit. So the Southern Baptist Convention is just that. It's a convention. So it only, you, we often refer to it as a something that's ongoing. It's really yeah. not. It only mm -hmm. meets once a year. Um, and so that meeting is of all of the churches that give to the what's called the cooperative program which okay. helps fund all the yearly activities and then all the southern baptist churches send messengers those messengers conduct the business of the convention and then the convention is over so we say the sbc like it's you know kentucky fried chicken it's around every single uh day it's not it's only happens uh two days a year and then like during COVID a few years ago it didn't happen hmm. so there was no sbc in uh, 2020. Um, uh, of course, that's, you know, the, the, the um, executive committee, they do all the things, they, you know, keep the keep the wheels on the bus, shall they say, funds the seminaries, funds the mission boards. They also have women's, uh, there's a women's uh, union, uh, ministry union that, that does, does things, the disaster relief, as uh, Graham was talking about. So they've got a number of, number of programs that they, that they do. And so it's really important to understand that while SBC does mean something. It really truly is defined as one thing that happens every year. And it's, it is the largest gathering deliberative body in the world, democratic yeah. deliberative body that gathers together. So it's, it's kind of neat to see all those folks coming together and making decisions collectively. Yeah. I don't know exactly how many people were there this year, but I know it was over 16,000, right? It, yep. it's, it's a massive undertaking. So is it, I, I think that's actually a really helpful thing that it actually only exists when it's meeting. I think that's really interesting. Is it is it okay to call it a denomination? Uh, you guys can tell me. Um, is that or is that not the right way to to think of it or describe it? I'll I'll, I'll jump in if you don't mind, um, because I, I think there's some there's some somewhat of a disagreement about this among even people within Southern Baptist life, because you'll hear people say it's the largest Protestant denomination in the world, and yet it doesn't function like a normal denomination, which tends to have a top-down authority structure where there is some form of government that is above the presbytery or above whatever that is that is established and, and there's law that, that 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 comes down to each church rather the southern baptists each church being autonomous meaning they are self-ruled are able to come together and cooperate as my brothers were explaining but each church is governed by its congregation they choose their own pastors their own deacons they they discipline within not from without they, anything 
anything that happens within the church is within the church. The only time that we see anything from without is like what happened with Rick Warren, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about, is right. if a church does something that would separate themselves from established Baptist teaching and Southern Baptist teaching, the Southern Baptist Convention can say that you're no longer in good stand. What was the phrase they used? Not good standing. Friendly but fellowship. Friendly fellowship. Friendly Thank fellowship. you. Fellowship. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and in that sense can be disfellowshipped, but it's not the same as like with the denomination, for instance, Methodist churches that are leaving the Methodist denomination currently are under the threat of losing property under the threat of having other leaders be put in by the by the people in charge all of those things can happen that can't happen in the southern baptist convention that's not the way it functions so it doesn't function like other denominations and therefore some people say it's not a denomination however it is a collection of churches that 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 are in fellowship with one another so it really depends on how you define uh denomination so and i would say there's a lot of play in the joints hmm. and that's one of the things that makes it makes it both resilient but that play right now is being stretched so that's kind of where we're in this situation now but it is very resilient um but and robust and, and because there's enough play in the joints i think it, it to me studying church history and and looking at american church history it's unique in that it's it's unique in its americanism okay and that's this you know very democratic very um egalitarian uh, in the best sense of the word, um, uh, you know, the, the, the way things operate. And so, but of course, what we're finding and what we're going to talk about here in a minute is the limits of that. Mm. And there, there are limits. And so, you know, I think if you would go back a hundred years and ask this question, it would just be resounding. Oh, absolutely not. Not a denomination. Absolutely. Absolutely not. You know, why, why would we, we don't even need that. That's why we're doing this because we don't want to do that. Mm. But now of course, because of the spirit of the age and responding to those things, there's going to have to be some fences. I'll let my other um, part, uh, participants answer this after, but I have a lot of confessional Reformed Baptists, and they will want this question uh, asked and answered. Uh, Keith, how do you, and you can be honest here, we're all friends, how do, do you think the S, this convention, this, this gathering, does this fit into Baptist ecclesiology or... or are there ways of understanding it that doesn't, or how would you, obviously your church is not a part of it. And so that, you know, that's not um, here nor there, but I was just wondering what your thoughts on that would be. The, the first London confession, which is the, 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 the first Baptist confession that, that was written in 1644, it was edited in 1646, and then, of course, there's the second London confession that, that was written in 1689. But the, the one that we hold to is the is the 1646 and it specifically states in uh i think it's one of the articles in the 40s so 52 articles i think it's like article 47 48 something like that specifically states that while each church is an authoritative structure within itself it's autonomous mm -hmm. that it is it is essential that churches would be in fellowship with other like-minded churches for the purpose of counsel, for the purpose of seeking help in times of need, for the purpose of mutually building one another up, and all of those things. So yeah, I think that the convention is in line with historic Baptist view of churches needing one another. And okay. so yeah, I would say for sure that, that the convention has has historic pedigree in that regard. I don't, I don't think it's opposed to Baptist 
uh, ecclesiology based upon the first London Confession, and and I believe the second London as well says something similar, but not holding to that one. I'm not as I'm not as certain. So no, that's great, Graham. I assume you would um you would feel similarly that the the convention does jive well with the the values of Baptist ecclesiology. Yeah, I know there were some Baptists that went to the convention that personally would disagree with women pastors, mm. but their argument voting for keeping them in fellowship or friendly cooperation or however vague wording we use, whatever we decided to use, um, was they're autonomous, and this is a secondary issue. So that's mm. kind of their approach. Um I would disagree and say, yes, they're autonomous, but your autonomy doesn't violate my autonomy. Mm. And so if 11,000 of the churches are like, this is not, or 11,000 messengers are voting and saying, this is not Baptist theology. This is not a road we want to go down. Your autonomy can't violate our autonomy. Mm. So I would say that that's kind of, um, and that's been consistent. We did this in uh, a few years back when there were um, same-sex pastors, and no one threw a fit about it because it's an obvious issue, right? No yeah. one was screaming church autonomy. We were like, no, this is an obvious issue. So I think my line would be your autonomy can't violate mine. But on top of that, if you have a conviction, why wouldn't you stand by it? Because mm -hmm. if you have a conviction that women pastors are unbiblical, we should hold to that or drop the conviction. That's kind of my view on it. But I think we're in good standing, yes. So that that gets to kind of a, this. I have, I'll get to two more general questions before we get into this kind of specifics of what's going on, which we're already talking about. Obviously, um, female pastors was a you know m major issue this year. I mean, I know there were some more technical issues, which if there's interest, we you know if you guys want to talk about any of that, I'm I'm happy to. Um, but so so what, Graham, you're mentioning is that there is, um, uh, well, I I use my word confession of faith because that's what I that's what I know to call things. But there's the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Um, Peter, how does that function? What's the function of that in a for there to be an existence of a uh, of a of a working democratic meeting once a year? What's the what's the purpose of this? Uh, of this document, uh, tell me about it. So, so the Baptist Faith and Message is a iteration of a document that's a, that has changed over time. Um, there was not an initial Faith and Message, I don't believe, uh, when the Southern Baptist Convention was started, but it was added subsequently. There was a 1925 and a, I want to say a 63, 1963. Um, maybe maybe I got the 60s wrong there, but there was one there, and then this Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was the update, and it's obviously changed and gotten more defined and more refined. I will I will add that you do not, as a church, autonomous church, have to subscribe to the Baptist Faith's message to be in friendly cooperation. You don't have to. Now, all of the entities, um, of the entities, the and everyone that works for them has to abide by the Baptist Faith and message. So that's the uh, cooperative program, the executive committee, the seminaries, um, the various other groups. They have to do that. So that is required for them, but it's not required for the churches that, that, that give the money. Those that spend the money or receive the money, they do have to, to be in the Baptist faith and message. And so I, the way, so it works as I would say, 
in the best case scenario as as guidelines. Um, it's it's not a requirement, and and that's that is again some of that play in the joints we talked about earlier uh, that you don't do that now. Many many um, pastors will stand up and say, we at the First Baptist Church of wherever we you know, we abide and we, we can, we hold to the Baptist face and message to uh, 2000 as a way of, you know, saying, Hey, this is, we, we are in complete alignment, but it is not required. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was one of the, the things, but it's not, um, Graham Keith, do you want to add anything on the Baptist faith and message? Um, it's, I don't know. Is it, how long of a document are we talking? Is this a pretty extensive document? Is it more general? Keith, go it's ahead. not super it's not super long in my opinion i mean i read it in 20 or 30 minutes uh, but i'm a quick reader so maybe maybe that's just me i think i read an article and it was like until the 1920s baptists were not confessional period and even when we did get the baptist faith and message of 1925 i want to say and i don't remember the article i'll find it and send it to you matt um but yeah he was like, the Baptists didn't become confessional until 2000, truly confessional, when we adopted the Baptist faith and message. But even in that, what Peter was saying is, you don't have to adopt it. We don't have to sign the Baptist faith and message. It's just guidelines that the, denomin the denomination uses and we kind of agree to. But you don't have to actually sign it or even agree to it you just have to adhere to it in my opinion i i just pulled up the bath just face the message just for our listeners uh uh just so you know graham is a mere mortal it is not super long so he didn't yeah. just, just read a, a tome of systematic theology in 20 minutes it's pretty short so uh keith what were you going to say about uh the nature of the document well i want to i do want to address one thing when when uh and Graham, I know what you're saying. You're saying that in regard to the Baptist faith and message, we're not confessional until the 1920s. But historically, Baptists, even Southern Baptists, have been confessional. And we can go back to the history of Baptists, again, starting with the First London Confession, Second London Confession, Philadelphia Confession, even the Abstract of Principles, which is required to be signed by every teacher at the Southern Baptist Convention, the flagship, uh, uh, the, the, the Southern Baptist Seminary, I'm sorry, the flagship seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention, the, the Abstract of Principles has to be signed. So to say that we were never confessional, I don't think that's actually accurate. I think that's actually a that's actually an anachronistic look at history. We're saying we weren't confessional for a period, therefore we've never been confessional. That's not actually the case. Uh, that would be my argument. I'm again, I'm not trying to debate you. I'm just saying I think from a historic perspective, I think there were confessions. There were confessions that the that were understood to have a certain level of of authority again you couldn't teach in the southern baptist seminary unless you uh, uh, yeah, and i realize the abstract of principles is only i think 13 statements of faith but it was a statement of faith that had to be signed by every teacher so um there there has been a confessional foundation to baptist life and uh, uh it, it hasn't been it hasn't been without that. I think. I think it may have been, may have been a period where there, where it was lost. But, but we have to go back a little further. Yeah, I think that um, this is this is not my area of expertise. I'm much more of an Old Testament 
kind of geek. That's kind of my area instead of uh, Southern I'm a, Baptist I'm, history. I'm a church history nerd, so that's my... So there you, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But I think what the article was saying that I read was the Southern Baptists did not require denominationally wide a confession. So like churches may have adhered to certain confessions, but it wasn't until 1925 that the denomination said, this is our confession, right? And I'm not anti-confessional, by the way. I was just, I'm just saying what I read in the article. I, I'm good with confessions as long as they're reasonable. Sounds like I could make a great documentary called What is a Baptist? Where I go around. <laughs> well, there's a great, there is a great book, History of Baptists in America, which is very interesting. And it talks about all of this. Uh, but Peter wants to say something. So. All right, yeah. Peter. And, and I think I think the issue is, and we, we've kind of glossed over this because I think we assume everybody knows, but the main reason there is a Southern Baptist Convention or any Baptist Convention is to send missionaries mm-hmm. and plant churches. And so exactly. the, the Baptist faith and message is going, to def, is going to define how we send those missionaries and then the churches that hopefully they plant and start. And so where this is, where this is causing a problem is what are those churches going to look like that we plant and that we start and then the missionaries that we send out. That's why it matters. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters what, how, what churches believe, how they govern themselves. That matters. But when it comes to the Southern Baptist convention, they don't care as much other than if we're going to send money and, and, you know, hard um, or, you know, sacrificially given money, how is that money going to be spent? What are those churches going to look like? That's really where it comes. That's really where the, the, the rubber meets the road for this. So let me ask one more question. Um, and, you know, when I think about, again, it, this is why it's very different. This is why, right, when I think about the General Assembly of the of the Presbyterian Church in America, right, the, the church comes together, there's discipline done, right, the business of the church is done, elders make decisions, right? Um, you know, there are, and obviously there are, you know, both are following Robert's rules. So there are some similar things. There's, there's voting machines or voting systems. People don't really understand, right? These, you know, these things happen in, in, in these settings. Um, but what, what are the, what are they doing? What is, what's being done uh, at these conventions? What was done in New Orleans, Anaheim? I don't know where it's going to be next year, but what are they coming together to do? Go ahead, Peter, you can start on this one. So next year is going to be in Indianapolis, Indiana. So everybody can uh, get excited to go there. Great. I know I, I know I am. I'm uh, going there on a family vacation. It sounds like a, uh, what did a you do? Time to go there for a convention. What did you do wrong? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I married right. the family I did. But anyways, all right, Peter, what a what are they all right. So the big next? things the big things that are done that have to get done is the budgets have to get approved. So we take all this money yep. in into the uh, cooperative program. How's that gonna get uh, pushed out to the to the mission uh, the mission boards, the home mission board? or I mean the um, um, North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, the seminaries, the, all these organizations give their reports, how they spent the money, or in the case of Southwestern Seminary, how they've misspent the money, and give all these reports and do all this kind of thing. And then the biggest thing, the most emotional, for my opinion, as, a, as an observer, is the commissioning of, of missionaries, and them saying, this is where I'm going, and um, you know, very moving, to see couples that are going to hostile places that we don't, you know, we hear their voices, but we don't see their faces. 
because they're going to places that are so hostile to the gospel that we can't show their faces. And so there's this big commissioning ceremony and that, that really for all the rancor and all the debate and everything that is that pivot for the convention really is the moment where everyone says, Oh, that's right. I remember why we're here. It's to, it's to proclaim the gospel. That's why we're here. Okay, great. Okay. Now we can, let's pass the budget and, and, and we'll debate this stuff um, at, over some over coffee and donuts later. But that really is the, the thing that's that's being done. So all the budgets are passed, reports are given, lots of lunches, lots of, um, you know, lots of, of pageantry and things like that. That's fascinating because all the things you just described are not the things my Twitter feed is full of during whatever week it is that they uh, that they happen to be meeting. So uh, good to know. Uh, Graham or Keith, would you add anything to what they're what they're doing um, there? No, Keith, Graham, anything? No. So let's get into mm -hmm. The actual things that are flooding my Twitter feed. So the things that people do want to um, uh, talk about are don't tend. But though again, you brought up uh, that apparently one of the seminaries uh, needs to go on the Dave Ramsey program. Um, I guess you can that if you want to. But um, but other than that, there are a lot of motions made of like different kinds of things that they want either to be stated from the convention floor or, or action to be taken. And obviously the biggest issue this year, we won't bury the lead. Um, we can come back to anything else you guys want to bring up uh, is uh, the big issue was women's ordination. Now I know that um, the American reformer did a study and somebody else who's actually a Southern Baptist tried to figure this out. Maybe it is Mike Law, the guy who was trying to amend it. And they found out that they thought there were something like 2,000 churches um, where women were at, were at least functioning as a pastor. And so there are some people in the convention, and I don't think it's any of you, who would say, no, this isn't happening. This isn't even, there's no one, you know, this isn't a thing, Nam with fun. Don't worry about it. Um, and then, of course, Graham, you mentioned that a woman at the convention, why don't you talk about this? Because we're not going to play that clip, but a, a woman got up from what church was it, Graham? You told me. I think it was Fern, Fern Tree or Fern Creek. It was yeah. Fern Tree. Yeah, she was a woman pastor there. I, I would like, I looked at that study that you said, that okay. the American Reformer. Yeah. Um, some of the pastors were like women's, pa or like women's pastor or like children's pastor. Mm -hmm. So the number, I think, is lower than 2,000. Okay, great. But I do think that there are women in more traditional pastoral roles, right? Sure. Like lead pastor or executive pastor. Um, the fern tree lady, whose name I cannot remember, she, I thought she actually gave a much better appeal than Rick Warren did. Um, she gave an appeal based on kind of the argumentation I laid out earlier. This is a secondary issue who are you to tell me what to do, which is funny. Um, and uh, she kind of, she was like, when the Calvinists were under fire, I believe in 2010 is what she said. Um, we stood up for you because of autonomy. Um, and so she kind of went down the list of like, why are we arguing over the secondary issue when there are other primary issues that should be addressed? Uh, right. And, and I think she mentioned she's one of the most conservative uh, yes. Baptist pastors she's ever met, just so you know. <laughs> I'm definitely not a humble brag. She's, she's super humble, too, if you ask her. 
I'm uh, sure. So, so then, so guys, tell me why are we, why are we talking about this? Why is, why can't we be friends as they might say, or why can't we friendly cooperate for all the nice <laughs> things? Um, Peter, what do you want to say? Well, uh, so there was a, um, this was put into in a, a somewhat, it's not complicated, but probably more detail than uh, your listeners want to know. But um, there was a provision put in to, to disfellowship um, people that were not friendly cooperation for various violations, including, um, you know, the homosexuality of, of uh, pastors at churches, racism, um, sex abuse, things like that, and and uh, female in the pastoral role. And so this convention was the first time that one of these, that this mechanism was used. And so basically a someone said, hey, I don't, I challenge whether or not uh, Fern, Fern Creek uh, Baptist Church is in friendly cooperation uh, with the uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention and the executive committee. Uh, well, actually there's, a, there's a, another committee, a credentials committee and the executive committee uh, in there in tandem reviewed it and said, yep, we agree that they are not. And so they are not going to be uh, seated at the convention. Well, any church that goes through that process has the opportunity to appeal. And this appeal is rather sudden death. And that is you get, you get three minutes to state your case. The executive committee appoints someone to have three minutes to say their case. And wow. then immediately all the convention votes. And so it's a rather, um, the, the, leading up to it is very deliberate and there's probably a lot of discussion and investigation and things like that. But when it comes down to it at the convention, three minutes, three minutes vote. Wow. And, and that's, and that's what happened. That's what kind of led to the drama. There were two, there were three churches that appealed their decision. I'm sure there were other ones that were disfellowship. I know there were, but there were three that appealed it one over the grounds of uh, dealing with the sexual abuse of a pastor. And then the two other ones um, were related to the ordination of women. And so all three, the convention heard all three appeals. All three appeals were countered by someone from the executive committee, and then they voted. Is and, now and, while just, just the, and the convention upheld all three, all three. So there's the spoiler there, alert. I will say, is there, is this the best way to do it? Is this the only way to do it with that many people? I don't know, but I want to applaud this Baptist brutality, just like <laughs> with the game and your inner out at the end. That's just. That's that's uh, that is wild. So, so when someone is being removed from friendly cooperation, um, um, and there, it's not because Rick Warren needs money from Nam or any of these things, right? Uh, there, it's not necessarily because they're receiving money from the cooperative program. What is the is the is it because they, I, I guess I just am trying to under, again, I'm just trying to understand what is that action intended for? Well, I would say the action and I'll maybe Graham, you, you've been around Southern Baptist life longer than I have, but I think the action is you don't get to vote on how we spend, how we that spend the money. And you also don't get the benefits for, for example, you know, people that attend your church can go to the seminaries for reduced cost, um, things like that. Now, and, and Dr. Moeller, he was one of the people that um, that gave the rebuttal to the executive committee. Th this is not a statement on whether or not the church is a gospel church or whether or not they're doing good work or anything like that. It's not a statement of any of that. It's just a, a statement of, are you in cooperation with us? Yes or no. Sure. That makes sense. 
I, uh, whoops, I'm not gonna, well, we're not showing the video, but I will not, uh, we're gonna go back to just us before I get that video pulled up. Yeah, I am, uh, uh, we can, uh, he can do that on the briefing. He can, that's where he can make statements. And if you're doing good work as a church, Keith, as an, as another outside observer, what did you, um, what was your impression of, of what you saw, of what was happening at the convention this year? Well, I want to go back to something that Rick Warren said at the at the previous convention. Um, if everybody remembers, uh, the last time we saw Rick, he was telling us how he has, you know, personally trained all of the you know ministers in the world, and everybody has uh, you know suckled at his teat at some point, and um, you know that this guy is the end all be all of ministerial teaching. And um, I say that with all the sarcasm that's intended. Uh, yeah, one billion pastors. Thank you, <laughs> Peter. Just text. I'm sorry, you probably didn't want me to say that, but yeah, that, was, that was funny. Uh, so, so, uh, so here's the thing. He will say, "Why are we dividing over secondary issues?" Here's my answer: uh, because denominations are built on secondary issues. The whole reason why we have primary and secondary issues is because primary issues are what bring us together as Christians. You, Matt, and I are brothers in Christ because of the primary things. We affirm God as sovereign, God as Trinity, God as uh, you know the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the, the atonement. We, we affirm all of the essentials of Christianity as brothers, but the secondary issue of baptism would separate us as far as fellowship. The secondary issue of ecclesiology would separate us as fellowship. So denominations are based on secondary issues. So when someone says, we don't need to talk about secondary issues. Then why the heck are you here, dude? Why are you? Why are we having this conversation that doesn't make sense? Now you can say there is there is adiaphora, which is a tertiary or a further extension of what it means to be an issue of division, like whether or not you're a dispensationalist or you know whether or not you hold to a specific. Um, end times view that shouldn't I don't think should divide people even within one church. I've I've had elders that I served with that were dispensationalists, and as wrong as they were, we let them stay. You know, uh, just kidding, guys. But but the uh, you know that there are things that we can um, safely fellowship over. But the, there there's you know there's a, there there's a line. And the secondary line, this thing about women pastors, what people don't realize, and this is, again, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, is that this often opens the door for so many other things. And I think that's what Moeller's point was, is that this, this opens the door for, for, uh, for being able to look at Scripture that is so clear on this issue. And I would, I would go to the mat and say it's very, very clear, and say, you know what, that's not something that we're willing to hold to. Okay, well, what else are you willing to give up? And that's where this, and I know it's a slippery slope argument, but hey, man, the Bible says your, your foot shall slip in due time. And uh, I think Jonathan Edwards preached a whole sermon on that called Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. So got to be careful with that slippery slope. It is, uh, it is rather, rather precarious. Yeah, I think that I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll make two comments, right? One, how was Rick Warren rewarded with his last speech? He was made the, what the, executive director of the Charles Spurgeon library collection, just as the truest reformed Baptist as well. Not only did he pray the most past, but he is the, the it hurt my soul. I bet it did. 
But um, but I but here's why I think what Keith is saying, what we'll watch in a moment from um, Dr. Moeller is right. Right. This is this is always how I try and explain it to someone who goes, well, this uh, this this issue of women and pastors, you make such a big deal of it. The issue is because if you take the interpretive framework used to conclude women can be pastors and elders and take it to any other issue, you cannot come up with the orthodox result. That's why it and that's why it's not just a random slippery slope. I'm not just saying, well, if you do this, you'll do this. I'm saying if you start taking out what you just said consistently, it will it cannot it will not give you justification by faith. It will not give you the triune God, right? It will start saying things like, well, I guess maybe homosexuality is innocent, right? That's a, you know, that's one that often comes with it. So that's, I do believe there is a real connection, right? It's not irrelevant. I also like what you said, Keith, because there is, I think we often think of denominations as this horrible disunifying thing. It's actually meant to be very unifying here in America, where we all are of, of these different churches and different faiths we're able to say, oh, great. When I look at Keith's church, I say, or I look at a Southern Baptist church, I say, that's a different denomination. And what I'm affirming is it's a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's so big. Now, we obviously have big differences. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to dunk on them tonight or argue with them, but there, there are differences that, and they're not irrelevant. But this idea that we have in America that, oh, these denominations, it's just, it's so bad. No, it's so good because it allows us to have what, what functional Christian unity we still can have and allows us to defend the consciences of Christians who, for some reason, don't want my kids baptized. So moving on from that, though. Uh, I, well, I just want to say I, I agree with you so much, and, and just in case somebody sees this in the future, I plan to do a video one day called Why Denominations Are Good, uh, because everybody always poo-poos denominations and says how bad they are. What you just said has actually been on my mind for a long time. I like to tease denominations. I like to poke fun, especially at United Methodists, because I'm not quite sure they're still saved. But, you know, I poke at them. And, but it's all, the point is we're Christians. I've made jokes about Mormons at the door. We don't let them in the door. Why? Because they're not a denomination. They're a they're an apostate, not apostate, they're a cult. You know, they're they're mm -hmm. it's not the same thing as a Presbyterian, you know. Right. We 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 it would be great if there was uh if there was a clergy union like the one you portray so often if it were if it were happening. Now um I would I would definitely require the big Eva pastor to always be paying for it. Um but that would be a that'd be another issue. So Graham um, what do you think? What do, um, are there any other? Were there any other major issues? And I'm going to read the the section of the Baptist faith and message that they changed. But Graham, were there any other issues that you thought were really important that were addressed this year at the Southern Baptist Convention? And give me this as your second part to answering this. Do you think this was a a unifying? Do you think that there was this was a a positive year? for what happened overall in the convention, or do you think that there's a lot, a lot for concern for Southern Baptists as you, as you look about it? I think I'm going to answer your second question first. That's I think fine. it was unifying Great. because when the vast majority of the messengers, I think it was like, there were like 12,000 messengers and on the removal of Saddleback and Ferntree, it was like 11,000 of them voted in favor. 
Yeah, so I think almost, that's very. Yeah, it was almost yeah. 90. Both. And then the Treasure Coast, I forget which church it was, but the church that was in Treasure Coast in Florida, that was like 99%, like 300 people voted against it. So I think it was unifying. I don't think there were any other major issues addressed uh, ex with the exception of we, um, I don't know how to phrase this, we continued funding for our um, SA task force. I don't know how PG you want me to be, but we continue funding for that so that that way we can police our denomination because we don't want guys and gals running around without oversight. And there needs to be a way where we can say, you need to check into this. So I think that was good. I think another thing that was good that you touched on earlier was we commissioned 70 IMB missionaries to go and preach the gospel in some places where there are no other Christians. So I think anytime a denomination gets together and commissions missionaries for the gospel, that is a good thing. So Peter, tell me, um, when you think about this, obviously there are things, um, I think in many ways, with the clip we'll watch from uh, old retired pick Rick Warren, right, coming out of retirement like Rocky to give his last stand against uh, Albert Moeller defending uh, the conservative resurgence. What a, do you have any thoughts about um, what that what this year meant for um, the Southern Baptist Convention? Good, you know, could be a mix sure. of good or bad if you want to share. Well, I think one real uh, quick thing, but I think what's going to have an impact is the SBC had a resolution on uh, artificial intelligence. I think artificial mm -hmm. intelligence is something that um, we as Christians need to really be thinking about because too often Christians in general, but society just adopts technology and doesn't critically look at it. So I'm not saying that the statement is perfect or um, you know, will even be relevant in a year, but I'm thankful that, that the SBC is at least putting that on people's radar. So that's a good thing. Um, the, I, I'm gonna say that the, the, the best part of the convention is or, or was that everyone had an opportunity to give their say I think, you know, and, and vote and, and make their make their opinion uh, felt. It's their dollars that's going to it. And certainly, you know, one of the issues we have in the United States government is we have these representatives that we don't feel necessarily represent us all the time or do the best they could with our money, things like that. And that's one great thing about the convention is if you if your church uh, gives the cooperative program, you get to go and and vote. I think one that's 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 a positive thing whenever people can do that and do so peacefully, which they did. I think that's great. I think one, I'm not saying negative, but one observation that I would have is it does seem to me that the conservative resurgence is running out of, of leaders and that now the young restless reformed folks, many of whom I think were, were not as engaged in denominational life or as, um, you know, as engaged in some of the procedure and the politics of that are struggling now to kind of pick up the mantle. Um, you know, Al, Albert Mueller was there and obviously did, a, in my opinion, an amazing job, but he is a relatively young member of the conservative resurgence, right? You've got folks like Adrian Rogers and other folks like that that are obviously passed on. You know, they were, they're obviously much older. He was, he, in comparison, much younger. And so he did a great job. I, but some of the, I would say more conservative, young, restless reform folks who are now in their forties and fifties they did not have as much success as they probably wanted. And I think part of that was because they 
for years probably were in the hallways at the Southern Baptist Convention and not in the convention floor doing some of the work. So that's just my observation. I could be dead wrong, but I think if we're, if if some of these things are going to be moved forward, they're going to have to going to have to sharpen their uh, skill set on how to operate in in denominational life and you know how to how to make motions and and coordinate and do some of those things that the conservative resurgence obviously in this SBC did a masterful job of. Great. Well, so here's the language. Obviously, the Baptist faith and message was changed in light of these uh, the these things that uh, the, the the taking out of friendly cooperation. See, I don't have I can't use any of my good Presbyterian words for these kinds of things because they don't apply. Um, but here's what was altered with the uh, Baptist faith and message there. There were some clarifying language added to its section on um, pastors and women in ministry. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. And this was an added line. Its scriptural offices are that of pastor, elder, overseer, and deacon. So all these descriptions of the pastor were added. While both men and women are gifted in service in the church, the office of pastor, elder, overseer is limited to men as qualified by scripture. So they added these additional qualifiers um, because I think they there is, or at least was the understanding there could be confusion or it wasn't as clear if we don't have these these further descriptions. And so um, with that, let, let us do what we, we often do here on the Restless Podcast, which is react to some wonderful clips. So I think the best way to do this, since they both get to speak for three minutes, is we will um, let each of them speak, give everyone a chance, and we can respond to each one. Uh, and then maybe we'll clo- I'll close with a I'll close with an interdenominational question. So um, Bart Barber, who was reelected, um, uh, is going to start, and he's going to say some Southern Baptist Convention Roberts rules uh, jib jab. So everyone, we're not going to take a moment to explain all the things that uh, he's saying, but he's basically describing the cage match. Thing, that there are going to be two people who speak for three minutes and at the end um guys the the ending of the story is rick warren is not going to win win this round so here we go um guys just make sure you can hear it when i start playing the audio this is the credentials committee recommended that saddleback church be found yep. not in friendly cooperation with the southern Baptist convention great the executive committee adopted the recommendation and found that Saddleback Church is not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Saddleback Church has filed an appeal with the convention within the required 30 days prior to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. The question is, shall the decision of the Credentials Committee and the Executive Committee that Saddleback Church is not in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention be sustained? Our rules apply a limitation of debate on this matter to one representative of the church question and one representative of the credentials committee or the executive committee. The chair recognizes Rick Warren for three minutes and following his conclusion, the chair will recognize the executive committee and credentials committee for three minutes to respond. For 178 years, the SBC has been a blend of at least a dozen different tribes of Baptists. If you think every Baptist thinks like you, you're mistaken. What we share in common is a mutual commitment to the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word and to the great commission of Jesus Christ. 
No one is asking any Southern Baptist to change their theology. I'm not asking you to agree with my church. I am asking you to act like a Southern Baptist who have historically agreed to disagree on dozens of doctrines in order to share a common mission. Since Southern Baptists have always allowed disagreement on doctrines, of, including the essential doctrines of salvation, why should this one issue cancel our fellowship? In 2013, when the Calvinists were under fire, Baptists agreed to disagree and the split was averted. Now, 10 years later, will we treat egalitarian Baptists with the same grace we showed the Calvinists? We should remove churches for all kinds of sexual sin, racial sin, financial sin, leadership sin, sins that harm the testimony of our convention. But the 1,928 churches with women on pastoral staff have not sinned. If doctrinal disagreements between Baptists are considered sin, we all get kicked out. You'll never get 100% of Baptists to agree 100% on 100% of doctrine. That's why our Constitution says that churches must closely identify, not completely identify, with our confession. Now, the Baptist faith and message is 4,032 words. Saddleback disagrees with one word. That's 99.9999999999 in agreement. Isn't that close enough? Al Mohler, who for some reason gets to speak twice and do the rebuttals, claims the phrase, the office of the pastor is limited to men, that that also includes every staff position too, and somehow it also prevents any woman from teaching. But I was able to contact about half over half of the original drafting committee of the Baptist Space Message 2000, and seven of them told me Al was wrong. In fact, before the vote on the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, even Al in his hometown newspaper said it didn't limit women from being assistant pastors. Go read it in the Courier Journal. If this precedent is set, Southern Seminary will have to change the name of the Billy Graham School since Billy Graham trained women pastors at our global training events and he endorsed the preaching ministry of his daughter saying Ann is the best preacher in, in the Graham family. Vote no. If this precedent is set, we'll have to rename our two. From the, they cut the mic. Um, they cut the all mic. Right. You get three minutes exactly. Yeah. Uh, unless Ed Litton is, and is moderating, then then Rick Warren gets all the time. <laughs> but now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go around here. So um, I uh, I hope I will get reactions on at least two things he said. Um, the uh, uh, Albert Moeller will respond to the shade that was thrown directly at him. But I want to talk about how, you know, Rick Warren is, as we've learned about his many great uh the great things about him um he's also one of the most gracious people he was very gracious to the calvinists those uh problem children um and i'd like to hear about the uh the 99.99999 percent um agreement that he and all these people are in so um what, let's go reverse this time graham why don't you start what are your thoughts give us just your reaction your thoughts on um, on on rick warren's speech there 
Uh, well, Warren, very clearly, I'm glad he's not a math teacher because his math doesn't add up because there's not that just because you disagree with one word. That's not anyway. My wife's a math teacher. She could do the percentages and someone in our Patreon track did do the percentages. It's like point four, three percent. He disagrees with not ninety nine percent anyway. So it's about half a percentage point, not point one. But I think. I think his appeal is reasonable until he goes into this thing where he's like, well, we agree on so much or we agree on this or we disagree on this. Well, that's the point, Rick. Duh, we disagree on it. That's why you're here. Why? That's why we're trying to remove you. Actually defend the position. Don't say, oh, we should agree to disagree. Defend your position. And something else he said that's just a flat out lie. The Southern Baptist faith and message does not prevent women from preaching. To my knowledge, even with the amendment, it prevents women pastors. So women in a pastoral role, that is fundamentally different. And if you think pastors, the only thing they do is get up and preach on Sunday, you are sorely mistaken. So that's just not true. Uh, I found the jab at Rick Warren, I mean, the jab at Mueller to be kind of funny, admittedly. Like, that was kind of funny. Um but yeah. then he goes into kind of what aboutism. Well, what about this thing named after Billy Graham that affirmed a woman preacher? What about this thing? That's not the point, Rick. Defend your position biblically with scripture or don't hold it. I don't know. I think it's that simple. Yeah. So uh so uh Keith, why is it uh why is it fair that the Southern Baptists would let you in their convention as a Calvinist, um, but not, but not the egalitarian. What, what's the, give us your reaction to what, what he was he's talking about here. Well, Calvinists started the Southern Baptist convention. So if you kick us, Oh, don't, don't make a face. I promise. This is, uh, this is not even, even when Leighton flowers was on my show, he had to admit Leighton flowers and I are friends. And he had to admit the idea of the traditional position as being Arminian or provisionist is not correct. The traditional position of the Southern Baptist Convention was Calvinistic. You can go back into the documents of the the founders. Uh, uh, James Pettigrew Boyce was the first president of the Southern Seminary, and he wrote the Abstract of Systematic Theology. He wrote the Abstract of Principles. It is very Calvinistic. And to say that we, oh, well, we let the Calvinists stay. Dude, we're letting y'all stay. Come on. Don't, don't even. Don't, don't, don't try that. That's not how it works. I, I know Adrian Rogers was awesome in the 70s, but don't think that that's where the Southern Baptist Convention began, because it ain't. And uh, so so that's, I, I know I'm, I'm being a little sassy, but that's just, that's my way. I love everybody. But that's the whole idea of, oh, well, we let the Calvinists, no, we have been there since the beginning. Don't, don't, don't try to even pretend that we haven't been there. It's not even, that, that's a joke. Uh, you know, Tom Nettles, Baptist history professor at Southern, well, I think he's retired now, would, 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 would roll over if somebody said, oh, well, the, you know, we're letting the, the, the Calvinists in. It's just, you know, it just ain't so. Do you have any other? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point of the... Uh, um, of the in fact, in fact, Broadman Press, Broadman Press is the Southern Baptist, you know, the 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 the, the publishing arm. It's named after John Broadus and Basil Manley, two Calvinistic preachers. 
So to say, oh, wait, we've never been Calvinist. Broadman Press m- makes you a liar. So don't, just anyway, we, we could spend a lot of time on this. I think it, yeah, I think it's important to, I think it's interesting uh, on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't care if people aren't Calvinists, but I do care if people say Southern Baptists have never been Calvinists. You're just wrong, dude. You're just, just not even oh. again, again, Leighton Flower said, well, when we say traditional, what we mean is since this point in time. And he, and he names the point where Calvinism was, uh, was enveloped by the, what I would say was the, the, the revivalism of the la- latter part of the 19 or latter part of the 20th century, or the, I'm sorry, the latter part of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century, the revivalism that came into the Southern Baptist Convention and did make many changes. Yes, there were changes that happened and there were things that occurred, but that does not mean that that's when it began. The Southern Baptist Convention has been around a lot longer than 1920. Yeah, I think you can look at, to bolster your case from the non-Calvinists, Jonathan Edwards was a Southern Baptist preacher. um, Was he not? No, Jonathan Edwards was a Presbyterian. Oh, was he Presbyterian? I thought actually he was, he was actually he was a Congregationalist, wasn't he? I, I may even be wrong about that. He was Congregationalist, but he but his his he was he was uh, uh, he was not a Southern Baptist for sure. Correct. Uh, my bad. He was a Congregationalist, and so he was kind of a no. He does not have a. There is not a lot of his pedigree left, so he's a. Uh, but yeah, so so Peter, what did what do you make of how Rick Warren his 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 last ditch effort to attempt to uh, defend you know this them in uh, their 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 position in the in the SBC. Well, part of his part of the weakness of his argument was that he he did a late push on social media and tried to do some influencing about how he has changed his position and. You know, and that's fine. That's for certainly that's that's fine. Change your position, but for years that wasn't the position of his church, okay. And it just changed within the last few years. And so, if you're going to stand up and explain that change, I think you're I think you're going to have to get really um, specific as to why that change is is appropriate, and certainly not waste your precious three minutes on complaining about Al Mohler being the, you know, being the responder. Or you know, making other making other claims and pointing to things like that. I think he he erred in that he did not make his theological case. Um, he started out with the the you know the, the nature of Baptist convention and Baptist life as as that's a justification for why he should stay, and that's fine. He probably should have stayed on that, and if he was going to go into it, go into his theological defense of it. But uh, you know, it just it. I think he knew he had lost. And so he was just sort of throwing haymakers and seeing if he could land. But, you know, I, a, a quick poll of those standing around him probably would have told him that this was, this was a lost cause. And yeah. So, you know, and, and in that case, I guess for Rick Warren, for his ministry, for his legacy, I guess I wish he would have gone out a little bit stronger um, mm-hmm. just, in this, just, just for his sake, uh, yeah. because he won't be speaking again at the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, I don't think. It, well, it, it's going to be hard for him to go out on a high note. Um, but I think, um, I think it's, it's interesting. It's just another interesting thing to consider. If you have claimed a position for 50 years and you suddenly change it, I'll just say in my outside humble, uh, I'll call this pious advice from a Presbyterian. You are probably not an expert on that issue. If after 50 years, you suddenly make a, a drastic change, uh, to a, to a big, 
big position. And so it is probably fortunate that Southwestern Seminary um, took the stained glass window of Rick Warren down a few years ago before this happened, because I think that would have put them in a bit of a bit of an awkward bind if that was if that was still there. Um, though I would love to to make that my background for where I podcast from. So let's hear let's hear the response from the man, the myth, the legend himself, the man who talks like he wants to run for president all the time. Albert Moeller uh, responded. I'm very sorry, but the time has expired. Chair now recognizes the executive committee, financials committee, for response. Thank you, Mr. President. As the chairman of the executive committee, I would like to again recognize Dr. Albert Moeller as the representative of the executive committee to respond to the appeal. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just want to say that my position was there misrepresented, but nonetheless, it is important to state for the record that Albert Moeller does not say what the Baptist faith and message means. The Southern Baptist Convention says what the Baptist faith and message means and is quite competent to accomplish that task. In the year 2000, the words, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture was inserted because 30 years ago, this issue threatened to tear this denomination apart. The definition of friendly cooperation came down to the fact that that was an issue that would endanger the cooperative cohesion and faithfulness of the church, of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in particular, we look to this issue because Southern Baptists decided this is not just a matter of church polity. It is not just a matter of hermeneutics. It's a matter of biblical commitment, a commitment to the scripture that unequivocally, we believe, limits the office of pastor to men. It is an issue of biblical authority. It is one that has actually led to the unity of the Southern Baptist Convention as Southern Baptists have gone forward with an issue of clarity here, which has greatly made our doctrine and order a matter of unity and harmony. It is the unity and harmony of the Southern Baptist Convention that is now at stake. And we're in an unusual situation. Once again, this is not a convention responsibility to offer a comprehensive verdict on the ministry of Rick Warren or Saddleback Community Church. We can thank God for every good gospel thing that is represented by that church and its ministry. It is a question about the Southern Baptist Convention and what it means for a church to be in friendly cooperation in doctrine and in order with this convention. And here we face the unusual situation in which Dr. Warren himself has made repeated statements and the church has taken repeated actions that make very clear that it rejects the confessional understanding of the Southern Baptist Convention on this issue. This isn't a question of misunderstanding. The Credentials Committee and the Executive Committee took action based upon the actions of Saddleback Community Church in establishing a woman as a campus pastor and having women with the title of pastor to teach in the teaching role on Sunday morning. And then Pastor Warren going on to say more expansively that the church basically and he endorses and calls for a more comprehensive egalitarianism. I'm confident that's not where the Southern Baptist Convention is going to go. I believe that it is a statement without rancor and without personal attack, without making a comprehensive verdict on a congregation that is no longer among us, 
We simply say that our credentials committee and executive committee have done the right thing. We need to do that. All right, all right. I, uh, that is Albert Moeller himself. And so, uh, guys, we'll uh, give you guys share any thoughts. Peter, we'll go back to you. You, you are you are applauding. You have at a few times already applauded Albert Moeller's uh, uh, many unfair speeches compared to the time Rick Warren was given. At the <laughs> yes. uh, well, I'm yeah, unapologetically a. Uh a major fan of uh, Dr. Moeller. I've taken a couple classes with him and really, uh, really appreciate him. I, you know, I think he, he gave a coherent response to it that was based on the matter at hand, which was, are they in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention? The answer is no. And I think he, he effectively did that without, uh, without getting too far into the weeds on, on any of the other issues. So I guess I'll just leave it at that. It's, it, it was a, it was an exposition in my opinion on, on two responses to the culture, two responses to present theological issues. Uh, Rick Warren's trying to, you know, conform to the spirit of the age in some regard, try to uh, cooperate with the culture. And uh, Dr. Moeller is trying to stand firm on uh, biblical authority. And I think ultimately that's why, uh, despite um, Rick Warren's success in training pastors, as we've mentioned earlier, that the Southern Baptist Convention is one of the largest attended uh, theological institutions in the world. So the results speak for themselves. Keith, what do you think about what about that? There's a point that he made that I think a lot of people may not be aware of the historical nature, but when he said that this issue uh, stood the chance of, of dividing us 30 years ago, and what he's referring to, if I am correct, and Peter and Graham, y'all correct me if I'm incorrect, but what I believe he's referring to is, is when, he, when he came to Southern, which I know was in the early part of the, the 90s, there was, in, even in Southern Seminary, a, a very high uh, uh, amount of women who were, who were seeking ministerial positions in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he came in opposing that and was hated for it. There are videos online of him speaking before groups of women, women standing up and, and calling him name, well, I say calling him names, saying that he is wrong and how wrong he is and how how just his position is, is ungodly. And if all they need is five minutes with him and they can prove that women can be pastors, or just, you can watch these videos, you can go online and, and see them. Uh, I've, I've seen them before myself. That is the historic background behind when he says this 30 years ago, we, 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 this, you know, we settled this and now it's up again. And the, and the thing is every generation has to fight these same battles because every generation, there are people who want to, who want to, to, uh, bring these things forward, whether it's women pastors or any other, you know, any other, uh, unbiblical thing. So that I just wanted to, I just thought that for people who don't know what he's talking about, that's the, the reference there. I'll, I'll go to you in a second, Graham. I do think that is a really good point also because obviously here on the Restless Podcast where we talk about the fallout of the young Restless and Reformed and all this, there's a there's a group of dissatisfied people who often call Albert Moeller a secret liberal, right? That he's been actually masterminding this all in order to, you know, get power and now he's going to, everything's going to be woke or, you know, whatever kinds of progressive things they think he, he doesn't operate um uh, that he's on the wrong side of, and he might be on the wrong side of those some of those things. But what I, but what I think, what Keith just ex 
explain is I don't think a person like he's given more for actual like biblical and conservative positions than any of his critics calling him a secret liberal liberal have ever given right the the position he put himself in especially when he first went to southern and i just think that that is um it's just an important thing to keep in mind as you as you try and consider what what is really going on because um uh, as we as we think about what's next, as we think about even what you said, Keith, the next generation needing to take up um, take up the Bible and defend uh, biblical truth um, in, in in wherever we are, I, I think it's just important to keep those things in mind. But Graham, what do you what do you think about um, the speech from from one of those Calvinists in the subset? Yeah, one of those Calvinists we definitely should have kicked out, so that way Rick Warren wouldn't have to fight him. I think that's really what Warren was mad about. He was mad, I have to argue against one of the guys I could have removed. But I think I agree with with Peter and Keith that Moeller gave a concise, direct, streamlined view. I do wish that he would have had... He just didn't have time. I wish he would have had time to kind of go into the the Bible passages, but neither one of them had time to do that. But one aspect of Saddleback that no one's brought up that I think we could have removed them for is in Matthew 18, it is very clear how we're supposed to deal with Christians. Okay, so if if I have a problem with you, Matt, I'm supposed to go to you, right? Saddleback as a church, I believe, is held to a higher standard. And what they did when the credentials and executive committee voted to put them up for removal was they went to Facebook, they went to Twitter, they blasted the Southern Baptist Convention instead of appealing. They did that for days instead of appealing. And they could have appealed right away and just said, we disagree, and then we'll see you at the convention. But they didn't because I think they knew it was a losing battle. And I think Mueller knew he was on the winning side. So... He just kind of stayed above the trash a little bit and said, okay, Rick, whatever. We're going to talk about Baptists. Since you brought up Baptists, let's talk about Baptists. Yeah, well, thank you, guys. This has been great. I have given you, um, you guys have given me way more than your ninth and you needed to as we leave. I want to give you guys, I need to put you guys on the hot seat just a little bit like they do. These poor men who have three minutes. I'm only going to give you 30 seconds. So we're going to make our last question here on the round table and I will cut your mic. Uh, so, so unceremoniously the way they did to record. if you go over it, um, yeah, you have 30 seconds to explain to my Presbyterian listeners why you're not a Presbyterian. So let's start with you, Peter, you have 30 seconds. I'm watching the timer when you can't talk anymore. That means you're, you're done. Go why I'm not a Presbyterian. Uh, I would say uh, it comes down to uh, the baptism of, of believers. I think that is that is probably the, the most uh, simplistic answer I can give in 30 seconds, that I believe that um, that's, the, that's the key issue, though I love, I love Presbyterianism and I, I love my Presbyterian brothers, so I have, I have no ill will towards them. I think I have the disagreement, but I'm also humble enough to say that I may, uh, in Rick Warren style, come to a, a change of heart in 50 years did that right this man is an auctioneer everybody that was perfectly 30 seconds that is a guy who knows how, how to get what he wants out Keith, give us give us your best 30 seconds 
Uh, because Hebrews 8 is in my Bible, and as long as it's there, I won't be able to be Presbyterian. So I love you, but, uh, but there is something new about the New Covenant, and uh, it's all in Hebrews 8. So that's where I'm at. I know it's better for everyone but the kids, right, Keith? Is that the is that the? Uh... Oh no, but it, but everyone in the covenant will know the Lord, so that's uh, clearly stated. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Awesome, I love it. All right, Graham, thirty seconds starting now. I believe, following on these guys, that in full immersion baptism, and I believe in the autonomy of the local church, and I believe both of those things are modeled in the um, first century church, and that's why I am a Baptist. These guys, they can do it all in under 30 seconds. That was that was great work. I think um, I know um, Rick Warren is the greatest author and rhetorician of our time, but I think he needs to come talk to you guys about how to talk under a timer. So, everybody, this has been Restless. This has been our SBC Explainer Roundtable. If you really like this, we could turn this into an annual thing. Um, and so thankful for the guys all the baptists who joined me tonight pastor michael you sure missed out and so i am your presbyterian host and i'm signing off this is not restless okay i know you just want to get to the show but i'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life you can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast where there are three different ways starting at just three dollars a month that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content at least one extra episode a week and often more not to mention the restless telegram channel that you'll have access to 24 7 to interact with all the other patrons if you want more restless in your life this is the way Go to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast. Okay, back to the show.